Tales from the Rep Morgue is presented by Malone University. On August 29, 1918, the Canton Repository poked a little fun at the news. Under the headline, We Wonder, an editor ran a poem about the new disease sweeping the country. The Spanish influenza, with its sniffle-sneeze cadenza, is something new to fret about this fall. The King of Spain has sent it, just as though he really meant it. We wonder if he's neutral after all. In a few weeks, the repository's editors and readers would be past fretting over the Spanish influenza. They'd be trying to survive it. Welcome to Tales from the Rep Morgue, the podcast that probes the 200-year-old archive of the Canton Repository. I'm your host, Shane Hoover. In the first episode of our series on the flu pandemic of 1918 and 1919, we talked about how the First World War shaped the spread of and the nation's response to the flu. In this second episode, we'll look at Canton's reaction when the pandemic reached the city. Part 1. The Health Board Takes Action Even as the Spanish influenza struck other communities in Stark County, Canton's health officials in early October 1918 insisted the disease hadn't reached the city. They were wrong. The first flu victim to die in Canton was 35-year-old Henry J. Zeiger of Auburn Place Northwest on October 8th. Zeiger, an engineer and director of the Zettler Building Company, had been sick for a week, ample time to spread the flu to others. His wife, parents, and two sisters also were ill. A second victim, Palmer L. Kayser, a 36-year-old Temkin Company worker, died the next day at his home on Edwards Avenue Northeast, leaving behind a wife and 13-month-old son. Canton's response depended on Dr. Charles Lamont, the city health officer. Lamont was a native of Albion, New York, and a graduate of Yale and Johns Hopkins. He had been the city's health officer since 1914. At times, Lamont clashed with other officials, said current Canton Health Commissioner James Adams, who reads health board minutes from the pandemic to understand how his predecessors reacted. He had some dealings with the board over a period of time because he had some controversial ideas about disease control. I know that I believe it was Dr. Lamont that at one time got in trouble for displaying a smallpox patient in a glass casket at a downtown drugstore in order to uh, convince people this was a serious disease. And uh, he was reprimanded and disciplined for that. But I know that he was the commissioner at the time. Just before Zeiger's death, Lamont had claimed Spanish influenza was not in Canton, that the city was dealing with the normal flu. That was despite the fact that a soldier already had died in Louisville, and Alliance had shut its schools after seeing 50 flu cases and four deaths in 36 hours. And I think it was, you know, a misguided attempt at trying to calm the population into not panicking. Of course, we know now that that actually has the complete opposite effect. You know, we're much better if we're honest about what's going on and, you know, face our problems head on. Even after Zeiger's death, Lamont and the city health board balked at closing public places. The board took some steps. It ordered funerals to be private 
so as to prevent crowds and required undertakers to seal all coffins. The latter rule had no effect on the flu epidemic. The board also had workers flush the street, another useless measure, and fumigate streetcars and inner-city buses. It also planned to educate the public on flu safety via slides at movie theaters. But the flu kept spreading. By the end of the week, Canton had 300 cases and five deaths. Lamont and the board took the next step and closed saloons, churches, pool halls, schools, and the library. Anywhere people gathered. Colleges and high schools canceled football games. Police rode streetcars to keep riders from spitting on the floor and watched over so-called foreign district coffee houses to prevent crowds. The board also told stores not to hold sales so as to prevent crowds. But the flu cases kept climbing. Part 2 when we come back. Malone University is proud to be Canton's university with more than 50 programs that lead to careers in all fields. Finish your degree or earn your advanced degree through our adult programs. Find out more at www.malone.edu. Part 2. Bring out your dead. The flu continually circulates in yearly epidemics and kills between 12,000 and 56,000 people a year in the United States. The victims generally are the youngest and oldest members of the community. But the Spanish flu was different. Kim Kenny, assistant director and curator of the McKinley Presidential Library and Museum, has studied the pandemic. It's deadly in a different way. It attacks people um, in the 20 to 40 year old range, which is very different from what the flu usually did, um, which resulted in a lot of deaths of people kind of in the prime of their life, which was very tragic. Zeiger and Kayser, the first Canton victims, were both in their 30s. You could be a perfectly healthy person, and then within 24 hours, you could be dead. And this hadn't happened before in, in any flu season. Daily death notices in the newspaper tracked the flu's march through the city. The repository reported four deaths on October 21st. Milo Howe, age 30, of 802 Arlington Avenue Southwest, died early Monday morning at his home after a short illness of influenza. Sam Perga, age 38, Austrian, died Monday morning at his home, 1902 11th Street Northeast, from a short illness of pneumonia. Hawthorne H. Snyder, 35, of 2054 Harvey Place, Southeast, died Saturday at midnight at his home of Asa pneumonia. Habdad, 33, Syrian, of 210 Schroyer Avenue, Northwest, died Sunday afternoon following an illness of several days with pneumonia, which was preceded by an attack of Spanish influenza. The same day, the local Red Cross opened an emergency hospital to deal with the growing number of flu cases. The Red Cross filled its 20 or so beds in four hours and begged the public to donate more beds. On October 22nd, the repository reported a dozen more deaths in the span of 24 hours. John Carit, 33, employee of the Canton Foundry Company, Annie Burnaby, age 8. Louis Domlin, 36, Mrs. Mary Podlack, 25 of 1536, Frank Margles, 32 of 25, Mary Allen Getz, 
age one year and nine George months. Malo, 21 of Mrs. Lena Roski, 30. Besides her husband, she is survived by six children. Dr. Charles Lamont begged Canton residents not to congregate or loiter in the streets or stores. The end is not yet in sight. Dr. Charles Lamont. Part 3, when we come back. Malone University is proud to be Canton's university with more than 50 programs that lead to careers in all fields. Finish your degree or earn your advanced degree through our adult programs. Find out more at www.malone.edu. Part 3, Trying Anything. As the flu rampaged through the city, infecting hundreds, people looked for any remedy. Do you know of anything that will stop the flu germ dead in his tracks? If you do, now is the time to spring into fame by announcing it, for Cantonians are ready and willing to try anything once. The Repository, October 23rd. Trying anything ranged from a pinch of sulfur in your shoes to eating a lot of onions and garlic to wearing necklaces with asafoetida, a pungent spice that smells like leeks. Other Cantonians swore by the steady consumption of whiskey and tobacco or took the seemingly logical precaution of wearing a mask. I, the idea of covering with masks makes some sense. The masks that were available at the time were ineffective. We now know because the virus particles were smaller than the filtration capacity of the masks. Meanwhile, the paper ran daily ads for drugstore cures. Just breathe this oil of Hyamel deep into your nose, throat, and lungs, and every particle of air that enters your breathing organs will be charged with an antiseptic, germ-killing balsam that will absolutely destroy the germs of influenza that have found lodgment there. In order to stimulate the lining of the air passages, to throw off the grip germs, to aid in the loosening of the phlegm, and to keep the air passages open, Vicks VapoRub will be found effective. To prevent Spanish influenza, start using Nostriola now. Don't take chances, but get your Nostriola balm or liquid at your druggist today, and let every member of the family start using it night and morning. Even as more Canton residents got sick and died, the public chafed at the restrictions on stores, banks, and especially on saloons. So there were all kinds of things uh, that people were told to do that disrupted daily life and really isolated people. I mean, today, you know, you'd be isolated with your phone in your pocket um, and it wouldn't really be isolation. But in 1918, um, you're really alone um, and struggling with an illness or two or three in your family. It would be very difficult to get through that. On October 22nd, the city arrested the first batch of flu ban violators, including a saloon owner three pool room owners, and five Greeks who were loitering around the coffee house. The Greeks were reportedly each fined a dollar. Arrests would continue until the city lifted the ban, particularly at saloons. Well, a saloon um, 
it wasn't just a bar. It was a place where people gathered, where men gathered. Women don't go to these places. It's not until prohibition that kind of you, you put alcohol underground and it brings women out. But um, the saloons at this point are gathering places for men um, to come and, and, you know, learn the day's news. You know, in certain rural areas, it was a place where you could um, have camaraderie and, and actually, like, share the newspaper. It would be delivered there and you'd all read it. Um, you played pool, uh, billiards, and that kind of thing. So it's not just going there to drink. It's really um, a social thing um, that kind of men get to do apart from their families. And um, far more popular than the prohibitionists would like to um, admit. As October came to a close, the death toll climbed past 100 victims, and Canton was seeing 250 new flu cases a day. The city feared it would run out of caskets. The Red Cross Hospital was packed to capacity. Among the patients fighting for their lives were Ralph and Francis Rizzo and four of their children. Thanks for listening to the Rep Morgue Podcast, and special thanks to our voice talent for this episode. Chris Bevan, Sherita Gaucher, Ed Pritchard, Allison Mattis, Mike Baelish, and Jessica Holbrook. Our theme song is Blind by Midon. You can check out the show notes and listen to other podcasts at cantonrep.com. Next time on Tales from the Rep Morgue, presented by Malone University. I asked my dad one time, I said, do you ever remember living at home, like with your whole family? Do you remember your mom and dad and your whole family? And he said no. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.